So we, uh, we have a few things happening, right? <laughs> we are in the middle of a series we've called Therefore, where we've been reading through a letter that was written two millennia ago by a church leader named Paul to a group of Jesus followers in the ancient city of Ephesus. And he has spent the first half of this letter describing and celebrating this amazing thing that God has done for us in Jesus. It's only because of Jesus' death and resurrection that we are able to have true hope. And it's only because of Jesus' death and resurrections that we can experience the forgiveness of our sins, like all of our sins, the sins that we've done, the sins that we continue to struggle with, and the sins that we will do. And it's only because of, of Jesus' death and resurrection that we have this new, restored relationship with God. And, and God offers all of this to us as a free gift that all we need to do is accept by putting our faith in Jesus. And this is a summary of the essence of what this good news that we call the gospel is all about. And when we put our faith in Jesus, God's gift to us is a new life. Paul then will spend the remainder of this letter, and this is where we are right now, describing how we are now able to live this new life out. And this is where we pick up today in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. The words will be on the screen if you want to follow along. Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their, in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of, every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is describing in these few sentences the change or the transformation that the gospel brings to us all. This change is so much deeper than we often think. Sometimes it's easy to limit this change to how we live or what we do. In other words, putting faith in Jesus simply changes our behavior. We don't do many of the bad things we used to do and we are more moral people than we were before. Some think that being a Christian is all about following the rules, specifically rules that seem to take the fun out of life, that put a, that, that put a limit on the freedom that we think that we are experiencing 
And God is viewed as a cosmic referee making sure we keep the rules. If we keep the rules, then we, we will score points with God. And He may even reward us. But if we break the rules, we are put in the penalty box. Because God is mad at us. And in the penalty box is where bad stuff happens to us and to those we love. When we view Christianity as a religion about keeping a set of rules so we will behave better, it distorts how we view God, how we view ourselves, and how we view others. Here's how our view of God gets distorted. We will try to follow the rules so we can either earn favor with God or avoid being punished. When we live this way, whether we are conscious of it or not, we keep a mental balance sheet where we try to make sure that the good things we do outweigh the bad things that we do. And in our efforts to do this, it leaves us always wondering if we've done enough good things to earn our way in. When we think of God as, and then we, we will think of God as always disappointed with us because we continually mess up. We will see him as a relentless taskmaster just waiting for us to break the rules so he can punish us. We live in fear of him and not the kind of fear that the Bible talks about, this, this fear of awe of who he is. We are afraid of God and what he might do to us so we never feel close to him. This view also distorts our view of ourselves and others. When we reduce Christianity to a set of rules, we measure our success by how well we keep them. We constantly compare ourselves to others. We tend to feel better about ourselves when we see, when we see others struggle with their sin, especially if we think that that sin is worse than ours. And we tend to think less of them or look down on them for their struggle with that sin. And we even wonder how in the world could they be a part of the same community that we're a part of. However, when we, when we encounter people who seem to have it all together and seem to be closer to God, we feel worse about ourselves and we are constantly living with the weight of guilt and shame. If we think that the only change God does or God wants for us is to do better in keeping His rules, then we will continually feel distant from Him. We will always feel like an outsider when we are with the church, the, the Christian community. We will think we're alone in our struggle with sin and we will be discouraged with our inability to overcome the daily battle with sin, and ultimately become disillusioned in our faith. Maybe this is how you were taught, or, or the impression that you've been given by others who themselves were raised this way. Or maybe it's because of the things that you've seen Christians post, or things that have been said to you personally. Is this, if this is what you've experienced or thought, I'm sorry. My hope is that you'll see that following Jesus is so much different. The, the change that the gospel brings is so much more than changing our behavior. So how does the gospel 
change us. In other words, what kind of change has Jesus' life, death, and resurrection made possible for us? The first thing is this. The gospel makes us a new person. Paul uses the imagery that we put off the old and we put on the new to describe this change. And, And when you first read that, it almost sounds like we put on this different change of clothes. But it's so much more than that. First, it's important to understand that this is not something that we do to ourselves. Paul starts this section by reminding us of who we were before Jesus. He says this, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Gentiles here is, just means people who haven't put their faith in Jesus. And he describes them as alienated from the life of God. Meaning without Jesus, they are cut off from the source of life. He uses a similar description earlier in the same letter in Ephesians chapter 2 that we read a few weeks ago. Verses 4 and 5, he says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses or sins, he made us alive together with Christ. Who were we before Jesus? We were dead. We were spiritually separated or alienated from God. We have said this before. God didn't send Jesus to make bad people good. To make us behave better. God sent Jesus so that spiritually dead people could be brought to life. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are made alive. Jesus restores our relationship with God who is the source of life. Our old self, our dead self, has been put away. We are no longer dead. Because of Jesus, we have put on this new self. We are a new person. Second, and as important, once it's done, it's done. This put on and put off doesn't translate super easy into, from the original Greek into English. It kind of sounds like this could be an ongoing struggle, that there are times we tend to put back on our old selves, but that's not what Paul means here. The verb tense that Paul uses here indicates that this is an action that has already happened. Remember, he's writing to people who have put their faith in Jesus. It's clearer in another passage in 2 Corinthians 5.12. Paul writes to another group of Jesus followers. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Our old self has passed away, and we have been made new. Yeah, we still mess up, and all of us still struggle with sin, but this doesn't mean we have to put back on our old self. If we think that each time we give into temptation or we go back into some of our old habits that we've somehow become that old person, then we haven't grasped what the gospel has done to us. Even after we put our faith in Jesus and we are made a new person, we still battle with our sinful nature. 
And we will continue to battle with this sinful nature on this side of eternity. I, I love how real and raw Paul is in another letter that he writes to another group of Jesus followers. In Romans chapter 7, verses 18 through 20, he says this. I remember, this is the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Whatever you think of him. He says this, and I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I don't know about you, but I relate to the struggle. There are so many times I know the right thing to do and yet I don't do it. And I know the wrong thing to do and I still do it. But then he goes on with the best news ever. In chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, he says, So there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Paul still wrestled with sin. We still wrestle with sin, but we need to understand the change that the gospel makes in us. As a new person in Jesus, we may still wrestle and give in to sin, but we are no longer condemned because of our sin. Our old self is gone forever. This doesn't mean that we now are able to just live however we want and do whatever we want without consequence. It's true that our sin no longer condemns us to a life without God, but when we sin, when we do things outside of God's design, we will still live with the consequences. God has given us a, a new life to live, the way that He has designed and created us to live. And God's way of living is meant to protect us and not limit us. It's meant to free us and not bind us. However, when we try to live outside of God's design for us, we end up hurting ourselves and we typically also end up hurting those around us as well. Fortunately for us, God doesn't leave us on our own in our new life, but He gives us His Spirit, which leads me to the second way the gospel changes us. The gospel changes us from the inside out. Most of the time when we try to change something in our lives, we modify our behavior. Like, if we want to lose weight, we adopt some sort of new diet or start exercising, or we do both. We modify our eating habits and, and our physical activity so we can look and feel better. We want, we want our children to behave a certain way. We often punish them as a way to deter undesired behavior. Or we reward them as a way to get them to do what we want. When we want to change something we don't like about ourselves, we sometimes will turn to some form of self-improvement. If we want to be less stressed or more at peace, we may explore meditation or yoga. If we want to be better at relationships, we read books or attend seminars or listen to podcasts just so we can get a few tips on what we can do better, how we can change our behavior. 
And there's nothing inherently wrong with any of these things. However, most of these approaches to change are all about replacing an old behavior with a new one. But it never gets any deeper than that. So when we cheat on our diet, like all the time, (laughs) or we forget to exercise, or our kids determine the rewards aren't good enough and the punishments aren't strong enough, or we stop meditating or reading, our old ways or habits just come back. Unfortunately, sometimes we approach our new life in Jesus this way. Sometimes all we do is replace old habits with better behaviors. When we view things like prayer or reading the Bible or church attendance as new habits to help us overcome our old ways of living, we are just modifying our behavior. We are trying to change from the outside in. And when we don't feel or act any different, we get frustrated. And once the newness of our faith starts to wear off and all the things we started to do no longer produce the same results as we'd expected before, we find ourselves sometimes going back to our own way, old ways. But the gospel changes us from the inside out. When we put our faith in Jesus, God in the person of the Holy Spirit lives in us. His Spirit continually works in us to change us, to make us more like Jesus. And He changes us as we continue to submit ourselves to Him. And as we submit ourselves to the Spirit, He begins to change our motivation. It's no longer just about what we do, it's why we do it. The Spirit begins to change our why. He changes our why for doing something, from doing something for ourselves because it looks, makes us look better or makes us feel better to doing something because all that God has done for us in Jesus. Quick example. Let's just take serving others. If our motive for serving others is so we can feel better about ourselves, then if the person or organization that we serve isn't appreciative or the serving experience isn't satisfying or fulfilling as we wanted it to be, then we'll likely quit serving that person or organization. Or complain about our experience to others or just take a break from serving in general. Like that's how we respond if our motivation is about ourselves. However, if our motive for serving is because Jesus came to serve and he served others selflessly. Because his ultimate act of service was the cross. Or because we really want what's best for someone else regardless of their response then whether or not someone responds the way we think they should doesn't matter. Nor does it matter if we found the experience of serving particularly satisfying or fulfilling. Really the ultimate question when it comes to our motivation for doing what we do, the biggest why, is who am I really living for? And who calls the shots in my life? 
We're also changed from the inside out because our very identity has changed. We've talked about this quite a bit in this series. The very core of who we are has been changed by the gospel. We are no longer defined by the labels that we have given ourselves or the labels that have been put on us. In Jesus, we are God's children. We are fellow heirs with Jesus. We are royalty in a kingdom that has no end. And we know that God sees us this way and we begin to see ourselves this way. So why would we want to return to our old ways of living? That's not who we are anymore. The the third and final change that the gospel makes is the gospel changes our thinking. Paul says that we are renewed in the spirit of your mind. In in another letter, Paul writes, he puts it this way in Romans 12 too. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In the passage that we read earlier in Ephesians, Paul contrasts this renewal of of our mind by God with the mind of those who haven't put their faith in Jesus. He describes it this way as the futility of their minds. Before Jesus, the things that matter most to us, the things that we spent most of our time thinking about and talking about and pursuing were pointless and meaningless. The gospel rescues us from this futility of being focused and caught up in and enamored with meaningless things. This renewing of our minds by God means that He is changing our thinking. And He changes both what we think about and how we think. What we think about. This isn't just about getting more information, but how He changes the direction or theme of our thinking. I love this passage in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Paul writes, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if, there's any, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And for a long time, I used to think that this was like a random list of individual things we were supposed to think about and focus on. And there were things in each of these categories that you could focus, like you could think about things that are true and things that are lovely, like beautiful sunsets and trees that change colors. Not that there's anything bad about this approach, but I think Paul's challenging us to focus our thinking in a single direction more specifically on a single person. It's Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the only one who's all of these things. To think about how Jesus is honorable and Jesus is true and Jesus is pure and Jesus is excellent and Jesus is the only one worthy of our praise. This is really the essence of what worship is. 
Worship is not limited to a small period of time in our week where we sing songs to God, but worship is about who or what has a priority of our attention and our affection. Who or what holds our deepest affections and attention? Everyone worships, just not everybody worships God. When we allow the center of our thinking to be about the person of Jesus, who he is, how he lived, what he taught, and what he did for us, it changes us. Paul describes it this way in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Our, our biggest obstacle, and I'm totally stealing this from John Mark Comer just to give him credit, but the biggest obstacle and allowing the gospel to change our thinking is distraction. It's distraction. We are so distracted, distracted in our busyness. We fill every waking moment with activities. We're distracted by the noise in our lives. We continually have something playing, even if it's in the background. We're completely distracted by the things that we allow to be entertained by, whether it's a new game on our phone or whether it's trending with social media, or whether it's, it's binging the latest season of whatever. And in all of this distraction, there is little or no time to center our thinking on Jesus. We become controlled by our distraction. What if we began to take steps to push back against the distractions? What if we created margin in our lives each day and each week so that we could spend time thinking about Jesus, getting to know him and listening to him? We're going to talk much more about this over the course of this next year, but there are practices that the early church did and some modern churches do on a regular basis as part of a rhythm of life to set aside time to focus and do this exact thing. To spend time listening and seeking and getting to know Jesus more. Over the past year, our staff team has been weaving these into our rhythms of life. Practices like Sabbath, where we've set aside a day each week just to rest. Or fasting, giving up food in order to replace it with time listening to Jesus and right now we're learning how to incorporate solitude into our daily lives, to sit in silence in the presence of God. And all these practices are designed for us to be able to know God more, to allow Him to change what we think about, to realign our hearts and our minds to be in step with Him so He can continue to change us to be more like Jesus. And when we start to do this, it not only changes what we think about it, but it also changes how we think. We start to view everything through the lens of the gospel. When we've been hurt by another, we are able to forgive because God has forgiven us so much. When, we, when things don't go our way, when we don't get the job that we thought we would, or our furnace doesn't fire up for the season or the healing doesn't come, we're able to trust that God has a plan 
and that his plan is good. And because, because he's good and he has demonstrated his goodness for us through what he's done with Jesus in our lives. When we suffer loss we are, and, and overwhelmed our, by grief, we're comforted by God's spirit in us. And we have this hope that there is a life beyond this one because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. I could go on and on and on. Our new life in Jesus is more about a journey with Him than it is a destination that we arrive at. Every journey requires a next step. It's easy to walk away from a gathering and a message from God's Word and and be hit with so many things you don't even know what to do next. I think it's as simple as asking God to show you what your next step is. Maybe for some who are hearing this this morning, you're exploring what faith in Jesus means, or maybe you're just trying to figure out who Jesus is. And if this is you, maybe your next step is asking questions and exploring some more with someone who follows Jesus. If you feel comfortable with it, you can pull out a Connect card this morning and fill out some information about yourself and just check the box that says, hey, I want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus. And Dustin and I, I would be glad to talk with you about that. Maybe for some of us who have put our faith in Jesus, the next step is pausing, meaning taking time this week. Maybe it's taking time today and evaluating how we are living this new life in Jesus. Are we still pursuing meaningless and empty things? Have we really embraced the freedom that God desires for us in this new life? For most of this year, my next step was to evaluate what I do with my time. I discovered almost every time somebody asked me how I was doing, my response was, you know, life is busy. I've been busy. It's a busy season of like busy was the cornerstone of my world. And I realized when I reflected longer, it wasn't just a season. It's actually been my entire life. I've just been busy. My next step has been to ask God to change this in my life and to and as I listen and obey how he wants to do this in me. I don't think God's design for this new life is for us to be busy. Busy robs us of so many things. But the biggest thing that it robs us of is relationships. It robs us of our relationship with God and it robs us, robs us of our relationship with one another. God has been working in me to slowly create margin in my life, to set aside a day of rest, to spend more time in silence and listening, to prioritize things that bring me closer to God and others over the things that just keep me moving. I'm still not there. But I'm taking steps. What's your next step? Would you surrender this to God 
and walk with him in it. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this new life that you've given us. Thank you for this amazing opportunity that you have given us in Jesus. Father, we need your help. It is so easy for us, Father, just to continue on just as we are, but not take time to pause and to listen, to reflect on all that you have done for us, to allow this incredible thing that you have done for us in Jesus to change us so that we can live this amazing new life in the way that you've designed us to live it. Father, I confess my own shortcoming in this. And Father, I just, again, confess my need for you in this. Father, would you just show us this morning, individually and collectively, what our next step is? And Father, would you give us the strength and would you give us the courage and would you give us the desire to do what it is you're calling us to do? And it's in Jesus' name I pray this. Amen.